You're listening to the Wellness Insider Network, episode number 28. Welcome to the Wellness Insider Network podcast, a place where you discover how to create a balanced, vibrant, and stress-free life with the right food, herbs, and self-care techniques. I'm your host, Lana Camille. I'm a college professor, drug information pharmacist, and an herbalist. Thank you for joining me on this adventure. Let's get the show started. Hello, Wellness Insiders. I hope you're having a great week. If you've ever been curious about herbal medicines that can be used for anxiety and stress, this particular episode is for you. My today's guest is Seven Song, and he wears a lot of different hats. Seven Song is a nature lover. He's an herbal practitioner and a director of holistic medicine at the Ithaca Free Clinic in, uh, at upstate New York. He created and has been teaching and directing a variety of different courses and programs at the Northeast School of Botanical Medicine. Seven Song is a highly respected speaker. He's a science lover and a critical thinker. By the end of this episode, you'll hear his thoughts on a variety of different subjects, especially highlighting the herbal medicines he uses in his patients for symptoms of anxiety and stress. Enjoy. Good morning, Seven Song. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm doing okay. Um, uh, very, very excited uh, to have you here at the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I would like to begin our conversation by asking you to tell uh, our listeners a little bit about your journey. How did you become interested in uh, herbal medicine? My interest began early on. I have always had an interest in natural history. Um, so my earliest interests were astronomy and herpetology, which is the study of reptiles and amphibians. So as a young boy, I would go out and start looking uh, for amphibians, for turtles, and the only place around me, because I grew up in the suburban area of Long Island, was the border woods between houses and highways. And so I'd go look for mostly small animals. I didn't have any real interest in plants yet. And so this continued, and then later on, as I moved towards being a teenager and just got consumed by all the kinds of teenagerness that happens, um, that kind of disappeared. But when I was, but bringing it back to when I was young, one of my favorite times was when my families would go on vacation and they would rent a cabin for a week in a national park. And during that time, I would just hound the rangers, mm -hmm. just ask them all kinds of questions. And so some of them liked me because I'd ask lots of questions. Some of them probably find me quite annoying because I wouldn't stop asking questions. Uh, but it, it, I just, it's, I'm a categorizer by nature. Like, I want to know what things are. I want to know their names. I want to know often their natural history. And there, I, there's no early on when I discover this. This has always been a part of my life. So then throughout the teenagehood, not so much interest there. And then later on, maybe now later teenager, I started getting involved in anti-nuclear disarmament issues or anti-nuclear issues. And I just start getting more social awareness. Okay. And with uh, my social awareness, initially, mostly just protesting. But protesting, I don't know, it can be, feel very empty. Like, the good thing about protesting is that you're with a group of people and you get a community. 
Right. Uh, the other, but the negative part is it's just protesting. I mean, what, what changes am I making? So mm-hmm. I'm not sure I had all this going on in my mind, but later on this becomes more ratified in, in me personally. Mm-hmm. So then, uh, so as I start to hitchhike around the United States, and I just ended up mostly in California for, uh, I'm not really sure why, it just seemed like the place for people like me to go. Okay. And I went, I went to, I was in Santa Cruz, California for a while. And I went to a school called, believe it or not, the Platonic Academy of Herbal Studies. Mm-hmm. And so Platonic here means Plato and thoughtful. Mm-hmm. And so it was a class. I met Christopher Hobbs, who was my botany teacher then. Mm-hmm. And I've had a very strong interest. When you called me up this morning, I was trying to key out uh, the local willows by seeing if there's abaxal or adaxal nectaries in the flowers, which are tiny. Okay. So I, ever since then, ever since Christopher Hobbs started teaching me botany, I think this is 1981 in Santa Cruz, mm-hmm. I've had a big term interest in learning plants specifically. But that was my first real intro into uh, plants as medicine. And then not long after, I ended up at the Oregon Country Fair. And there I saw the California School of Herbal Studies booth. I looked at the, I was looking at the photographs in it. I mean, I'm laughing because I still remember it. And I'm just thinking, oh, this looks amazing, right? Like these people are gathering plants or in the school bus. And so I went there in 1982 or 1983, maybe I went to the California School of Herbal Studies. And that just started to blow the door wide open for me. And now here's where the two things start to meet. So I start to realize like, so medicine is a very important part, like food, medicine, shelter. These are basic, basic things that it's really, it's just, it's important for people to have these. Of course. And I would like to be a part of people having these. And then herbal medicine appealed to me uh, because it is something that I can make myself. And so I, you know, I've always had a DIY or do it myself kind of interest in mm-hmm. things. And so after going to the California School of Herbal Studies in 83, I start to understand like this can make a difference. Now I want to say that like, you know, so I'm like 24, 25 then, and now I'm 60. And so lots of these thoughts are, you know, post-shadowing. I'm not sure what you call it, but I didn't really have lots of these thoughts at the time. They were nascent in my mind. And then later on, I start to realize that this is what's happening. I'm developing skills uh, to help those around me. And so basically, I have been studying herbal medicine to some extent, uh, to a pretty large extent, uh, since about since the early 1980s. Mm-hmm. And the surprising thing is that it became popular. So when I went to the California School of 19, in 1983, most of the people who were studying it were kind of in an apocalyptic mind frame, thinking like, if the world gets terrible, I'll have this skill. Mm-hmm. Like, I never really had that because I always thought if the world gets terrible, like I'll be one of the first to die or something like that. I never mm-hmm. really thought that I would be a survivor and people would want my herbal skills. You know, I figured I'd be hiding out so I could eat plants for quite a while. But what's happened, of course, in the past 30 years is herbal medicine became popular uh, to quite a surprise to me, frankly, and to other people. So its popularity is mixed. Like some of the popularity is good and it's helpful and some of the popularity will say you can get off these drugs and take herbs, which often not always true. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, I think that if you're asking for my kind of origin story, it's my combination of kind of wanting to be a social activist with my combination of natural history and now an early love of plants. I still uh, like reptiles. This morning, I went to see if the frogs were laying eggs or toads were laying eggs in the pond near my home. 
That's wonderful. So that picture on your website where you're holding a toad uh, (laughs) at the age of seven, it's still that interest is still in you. So that's really awesome. Uh, Uh, Yeah, I've always liked amphibians. Yes. Uh, It's also uh, quite fascinating to me because I think when we are going forward, we never can really understand how all the pieces that we are uh, gathering along the way will fit perfectly into one picture, one perfect thing. But when you're looking back, it all starts making so much sense. Um, So I know that uh, you were talking about the fact that uh, social and political involvement was something that was interesting uh, to you since since your uh, teenage years. I know that something that uh, you wrote said that path of an herbalist uh, is a political one changing the status quo of a current medical system. Can you talk a little bit more about this? I could talk a lot more about that. Please. Um, so, you know, so again, lots of things have changed. Like when I did protests, in some ways I wasn't very thoughtful, right? So I was just like, here's a group of people that I feel community with and we're doing these things. And the reason I'm saying that is because I'm glad to work with anybody. Like, so, you know, I definitely, I would say I lean liberal in my politics. I lean towards healthcare systems. I lean towards government intervention uh, when people are in dire straits. So, uh, but I don't lean anywhere when it comes to treating people. So my patients, uh, anybody who wants to see me, I mean, politics are not a part of the discussion. Healthcare can be. You know, and so having traveled and worked in other countries, you know, what's horrible and amazingly horrible in the United States is we are a country that can do great healthcare system, right? I mean, we have the resources to, to you know, have a, just a first-class healthcare system in place. But, of course, it won't happen for all the reasons that I'm not going to get into. I mean, sure. it's just the politics. And, you know, trying to dismantle it is just crazy, right? I mean, we should be building it and taking out, putting new parts in it and making it more accessible. And there's ways to make it more affordable. But, all right. So let me see, what was the question? <laughs> so you were so, talking about the herbalist, how the herbalist can actually change that status quo. Well, I, it's pretty hard to change the status quo, I guess. Okay. So one thing that herbalists can do is become knowledgeable about the system in general. Okay. Right, so one thing that happens, like when I was talking about herbal medicine being having good and bad points, one of the negative points is very polarized. So there's either people take drugs, medications, mm-hmm. or herbs. And that's just silly, frankly. I mean, there's a place for herbs, there's a place for food, there's a place for exercise, there's a place for medications. Right. So very important to realize for me, like I work in an integrated free clinic, and I'm one of the founding people. It's not my clinic, but I am one of the founders that's been going on for 12 years. Sure. And it's integration of almost everything is positive. I mean, I'm sure we can come up with some negative integration ideas. But really, mostly, it just means that more people are sitting there coming up with more thoughtful ideas in order to how to go forward. So I think modern medicine is amazing. It's not a thought. Modern medicine is amazing. Mm-hmm. So the system, horrible, right? Almost every country up into the system is not great, but the United States, I'd say, is even worse because of the potential for it. So I think one of the things how herbalists can help is by understanding how the system works. Like not all the intricacies, not how every insurance policy works, but when people come to us, like, it's, if they come to us with chronic care, it's not just their health care problem that you're working with. It's the circumstances that they're involved in, right? Of course. So do they have 
Is food a difficulty for them? Is safety a difficulty? I mean, if, people, if you're in chronic stress, it's just going to be your body just doesn't function as well. And so, and then there's financial difficulties. And so when people come to see me, so if I'm seeing somebody with a chronic health care problem, there's a good chance that they're seeing medical people as well. Uh, they might be going to emergency room if they can't afford a primary care doctor, uh, or they might have very basic insurance, or they might have good insurance. But if they have something like lupus, so there's some drugs that can help reduce the incidence by decreasing parts of the immune system, but at the same time, you might want to also increase your body's ability to stop the generation by white blood cells causing damage, right, or just fortifying or tonifying your organ systems. And so I think when herbalists have an understanding about the usefulness of medications, which ones are maybe more useful, and frankly, just knowing to help people get access, okay. that's a lot to ask for anybody. And again, so fortunately for me, I work in, a, in an integrated system. So if somebody comes by, like I had somebody come by the other day, and they had a lot of signs of being hypothyroid. They were cold, they were feeling brittle, their, their uh, skin was feeling dry, like very classic, but didn't have thyroid tests. So one thing that I can do is suggest them. Now, we can't get them free thyroid tests, but we can get a reduced rate. Okay. And then that just helps them make better choices because if it is their thyroid, well, that's one place we're going to concentrate on. If it's not their thyroid, then there's other places. Having a basic understanding, and also people are very scared about their health. Right. And having a reasonable saying, well, this might be the progression of this, and doing it in soft tones or, how, or real tones, however it's helping the person understand what their problems Understanding if they do A or B, they can might be also do herbs. And it's just helping people understand it because the medical system gives very little time. And I want to be really clear here. Many doctors I know would love to spend more time with their patients, mm -hmm. but the system works against that. Okay. And so I am not in any way an anti-doctor rant. But it's, okay. I'm an anti-system ranter. And so the doctors will give 10 or 15 minutes, and their specialization is good because if they're a rheumatologist, they know about joints. If they're a cardiologist, they know about hearts. The problem is people are become like pieces. And then for, if you're an herbalist that has an understanding, you can help put pieces together and say, well, this autoimmune condition causes this because you start to see degeneration here. So if we give you anti-inflammatories or we help augment whatever drugs you're taking. So then the next part is affordability. So this is going to be difficult depending on the, on the herbalist's financial needs or their finances. So, again, what you said is so true about, like, we never really know what's going to happen from the things we learned previously. Mm -hmm. And so I started an herb school in 1994. And so over the years, the herb school has grown, changes in size, smaller and bigger, but it's provided me a financial engine to help people. Right. So I come from a kind of average middle-class family, blue-white middle-class family. So there's no money coming from there. So I have to self-finance myself. And I'm not somebody who likes to ask for people for money very often, right? Mm -hmm. uh, maybe herbs, which I do regularly, but not so much cash. Okay. So to, in order to provide free health care, free herbal medicine, free consultation, one needs to have money. And so fortunately for me, my school makes enough money where I can live reasonably comfortably. 
and also give medicines for free. So that's a major change because herbal medicine is crazy expensive. That is a big drawback to it. There's lots of drawbacks to herbal medicine from my perspective. Uh, There's no inserts or people don't know any potential negative harm because uh, they're not written anywhere for them. And well, anyway, that's a whole other discussion. Okay. So one thing that an herbalist to change things is how to make it affordable to people. Mm -hmm. And that can be very difficult to do because many of the herbalists I know don't have, start, don't have a herb school running or don't have any other source of income. Right. And they shouldn't be suffering financially because they can't help people. People come to see me regularly because they can, because I'm affordable, free, free okay. medicine, free consultations. Can I ask you a couple of follow-up yes. questions on that? So uh, one yes. thing that you uh, talked about is how herbalists can uh, look at the system. But now, can we look at this from a perspective of a patient uh, who is coming? So how would they know and understand how herbs can help them? And why choose herbs? Why? So I, I love the concept of integrative clinic where you're working with good medicine, not just this medicine or uh, traditional alternative, whatever, but whatever it is that works well for this particular individual for their case. But how does the person become a little bit more open-minded and recognize uh, that herbs do have a place in their treatment? That's a great question. Um, And one of the things that you said is really, I think, important and it's a statement we should think, like, why should they use herbal medicine? Why in a day of modern medicine, which comes in the forms of pills, which have very little flavor, and some of them are not particularly dramatic in their action or have negative consequences. Mm-hmm. So the first part of that is that instead of being defensive, why should people use herbal medicine? We should embrace that question. Why should people use herbal medicine? Mm-hmm. What's, what's the benefit of herbal medicine? Is it better tasting? Is it easier to get? Is it less expensive? The answer to a lot of these is no. Mm-hmm. And so the, the only good answer, when I really think about it, I dis, and this is a contentious issue with me, I guess other people, the best reason to have herbal medicine available from my perspective is just choice. Okay. When we have choices, we have abilities to move back and forth and not get stuck into one realm. And so is herbal medicine better for inflammation than medication? Maybe sometimes, maybe not other times. But the question is, is, so should we make it available? And the answer is, if it's reasonably safe, why not have it available? And why not continue to study it and make it more, another choice so we don't get stuck in one paradigm? Okay. So, um, what, remind me of what else that, that question has. That, oh, that why makes... would people come? Yep, yep. So in the free clinic, people come because they come to see the doctor. Right. And in the discharge process, so let's say they have a lot of anxiety. And so we don't, the doctors don't give any drugs out for free. We have a couple of medications we occasionally get. But one thing you learn working in a free clinic is that pharmaceutical reps don't come and give you freebies, right? They don't, okay. they don't come to the free clinics. So when patients come, let's say they came for a lot of pain, and let's, they see the doctor, and the doctor uh, writes them a prescription. We don't, the prescriptions are never for narcotics or schedule uh, or class one uh, drugs in our clinic. Mm-hmm. for reasons that are complicated. Well, not complicated, but not to get into now. Right. So they go to the doctor, and the doctor gives them some drugs. And then they go to the discharge process, and during the discharge process, the person asking them questions uh, might say, did you feel like, you know, 
you got your needs met. And the person says, well, the pain, the medicine might help the pain, but I have a lot of tension and stress. And then they'll say something like, did you know we have acupuncture, massage, and herbal medicine? Okay. And that's how it happens. That's how the, the conversation starts. That's it. Or if they talk to our clinic coordinator, who our clinic coordinator loves herbs. And so I treat, I treat her a lot, and things have helped her, and it's been funny. So one thing that's helped her, she, she's very public about this, otherwise I wouldn't be sharing it. Sure. Uh, but one of the things that really helped her is a hair rinse. So okay. she had some problems with some hair falling out. And so it became, I became quite popular for making this hair rinse tea for people, which is funny because it's just it's often not how I see myself, but I'm glad to help people's hair get, be a little bit tighter okay. and stay in. Okay, that's awesome. Um, so uh, the other question that I also wanted to follow up on um, is you were talking about the fact that uh, in addition to the clinic, you wear a number of other hats. So one of them is your director of the Northeast School of Botanical Medicine. And so the school, you said that you started it in uh, early 90s, right? 1994. Um, so um, I, I know that based on on um, your program, there are uh, several different directions that you really concentrate in your clinic. So one of them is IDing plants, first aid, and also most importantly, training uh, clinical herbalists. Why did you Why did you decide that these three areas are the most important ones? Well, I guess it's probably really from selfish reasons, right? I mean, these are the things that I feel most interested in. Okay. So. So I can, I mean, I can rationalize each of them, right? Okay. Because they're all important, but there are many important avenues in understanding. So one of the beautiful, one of the beautiful things about herbal medicine is you can gather it yourself. Like my patients can't because they're overworked, underpaid, and have very little free time. Sure. But I can gather some, okay. and I like to gather things. It's that whole beginning story I said is I like to be in nature at times and gather medicines, and. So, but if you're going to gather stuff, you have to be able to identify it pro uh, properly. You have to be able to uh, make accurate species identification mm -hmm. because different species of plants might have different chemical constituents. Plants are, are, what's the best word? Plants have varying chemicals depending on many different statuses, right? So if this year is a hot, dry year, plants' constituents, while they stay the same, the proportions of them change, right? Mm -hmm. So during a dry year, the plant might put out some other kind of hormone. Plants make a few different kinds of hormones in order to stabilize it and help it hold water. Or it might do some other chemical reaction because it's more insects of a certain type. So it might be making chemicals to reduce the attacks by those, by those insects. Okay. So it's, it's one of the reasons why modern medicine rightly has a difficulty with herbal medicine, right? Because right. it's it, the constituents change. But if you buy an aspirin, right, it's always whatever, 250 milligrams of acetyl salicylic acid. And the United States, that's tight. Like pretty much it'll always be that way. But if I get use willow as an anti-inflammatory, first the, there's varying amounts of salicylates and then many other chemicals. And depending on the year, the chemistry changes. Right. But we forget so, that we are exposed to this, right, through our food all the time. So if you're eating an orange today versus you're eating orange like, you know, next year, it will have different degrees of uh, constituents in it as well. We just don't really think about it. That's a good point. Yeah, it's true. Uh, but I guess the thing is when you're using herb, yes, uh, it's true. The, the, the food world doesn't look at the varying amounts of whatever chemicals are in there. Uh, 
So getting back, though, to why plant ID is because uh, the one thing that we can come close to isolating is the species. So I can't change the amount of constituents or proportion of constituents in a willow, but I can say, all right, some willows might actually, willows are very difficult, as I mentioned, I'm trying to keep them out today, but they might have varying amounts. So at least the first thing is, is it really a willow? Is it a salix or is it something else? Because a different tree might have incredibly different constituents. And then for other plants, trying to figure out exactly what species they are helps me. So if I lived in a community and I grew up in that community and people who are knowledgeable about plants in that community told me them and I stayed in that community, that I wouldn't need to know this. Okay. So if I grew up in some, wherever it was, and somebody said these are the plants, that'd be fine. But almost all of us move around. And so if you're going to move around, so if you're going to go to my school here and then move to Nebraska, having botanical ID skills means that you can figure out what plants are there in Nebraska or mm-hmm. any place in the world that has a technical key. Of so course. plant identification to me is at least isolating one way that we could stabilize or understand what we're giving. I was just reading uh, from a letter recently that said that they tested some bone set on the market and it wasn't bone set. And okay. that's a problem because eupatoriums, the genus that bone set is in, have some toxic relatives. Okay. Right. So the eupatorium genus in general has a very wide range from very safe to toxic. And so it matters whether it's eupatorium perfoliatum or some other species. Okay. Um, now, sometimes it's not the marketer's fault. It's the person who gathers it or grows it. And also, though, it's just it's nice to be outside and look at plants. There's a lot of head knowledge in this program. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can hear that I'm a talker. Yeah. And then... Uh, so it's nice to be outside and be around plants and just have that kind of sure. have that more openness. Sure. Uh, and then the yep. clinical skills uh, are just basic. So once you move into a practice, once you move into healthcare practice, you realize that just knowing about herbs is very limited. You have to understand people, processes, diseases, medications, the system in which all these things interact with. And so a big part for me is when somebody sits down is trying to understand what's wrong with them, what are their symptoms, if their diagnosis is the most important part, because they might say, I have IBS, uh, which is a very vague diagnosis, mm-hmm. and then trying to figure out what actually is going wrong with them. So knowing their diagnosis can be helpful, but sometimes, frankly, it's distracting because there might be other issues that need to be addressed for the, so that the, the di- disease itself can be modified or reduced. Okay, okay. So there was something that you uh, mentioned earlier that you like to categorize things. You like to create these very clear categories. And uh, another element of it that was interesting to me is that you're an amazing photographer. And I absolutely love your pictures, whether on uh, Instagram or Facebook, on social media. Um, But um, they also very clearly show that you really like to pay attention. How did you learn to do this? And how... (laughs) How, like, what suggestions do you have maybe to someone who is trying to hone this skill, especially in today's busy world? How do you teach yourself to really do that? That's so funny. Like, so I'm, I, um, because of my age, I'm older than ADD medicines. Okay. But I am pretty darn sure that they would have tried to put me on ADD medicines or ADHD medicines all my youth, right? Because in fact, I'm very unfocused and I'm all over the place in many ways. But I do hear what you're saying. But it's funny to hear it said that way because of my own, like my personal feeling about how I focus. Uh, It all sums up in one way. 
you, you, you study the things that you like. Okay. It's really, it's just that, I mean, it seems very simplistic, but, and my likes change. Like if you look at the photos, like all of a sudden there might be a bunch of amphibians and then bam, I'm talking about something else. And what I'm doing is following my train of interest Okay. because like recently, so I got very interested recently in arthritis. Okay. And so I looked at a bunch of videos, by the way, for people listening to this, there's a bunch of really great videos on osmosis.org okay. uh, that are really simple and easy to follow, but are pretty technically accurate. So then all of a sudden I start thinking about it. And if I, I mean, I can't take a picture of arthritis. Sure. So, uh, but that's really how it works. I follow my interest and then it shifts pretty regularly, which is a problem sometimes in the program. Um, because I mean, I do set up the syllabus, um, but I, that's really what it is. Okay. I follow my interests when I okay. can. Okay. And so as you follow your interests, I also know that you have traveled and continue to travel quite extensively. So you explore plants, you learn from them, you also share their wisdoms uh, with uh, others uh, teaching your students. So, so what are some of the interesting places that plants brought you to? And what are some of the lessons that you really learned from your travels? Maybe some of the practical ones like I always carry this whenever I go there or something like this, or, you know, certain things that just help you to handle your travels maybe a little bit better. So I know it's, okay. there are a lot of parts in this question, but feel free to start with any of them. Sure. So one thing I want to say, because it will encourage some people and discourage others, is I, I'm the least spiritual herbalist I know. Okay. So I, I see plants as beautiful organisms, but they're like... I. They don't tell me anything, but of course I learn from them because I might learn that certain groups of chemicals ha share a color okay. that I see in that plant. So I'm, I'm, not very, I'm very conservative in my use of plants. Okay. So everybody listening to this, if you're non-spiritual, you can still be an herbalist. Okay. And sometimes you'll just have to hear about people's dreams a lot. Well, dreams, are quite frankly, are interesting. So... Uh, the reason I'm also saying that is, I guess, towards the end, I'll troll for students for a minute. And it's important for students sure. to know, so I'm very accepting of people's uh, belief systems as long as they're inclusive of other people. I mean, sure. uh, some sure. systems seem to be very exclusive, and I'm not so much interested in that. Sure. So some of the things that I've learned in traveling uh, have been, some of it is, is working. So I work in, I've worked in a few places. I've worked in Nicaragua. Mm -hmm. where I worked in a clinic with Paul Bergner and Tanya Neubauer. Okay. And so I learned about the Nicaraguan healthcare system, and, which was interesting for me and just, you know, because it's a socialized medical system. Nicaragua medicine is free, mm -hmm. but it's scanty, right? So, mm -hmm. and you have less time than you have here, depending where you live, because the doctors are more overwhelmed because, uh, because of circumstances. Right. So I guess... Like traveling and working in other healthcare systems just allows me to understand the American healthcare system because there are some parts that are really useful. Sure. Right. I mean, but it's the price. Right? Okay. The price is the problem. Okay. Uh, and I guess I also learned in my travels that some things seem very common where almost where pretty much wherever I travel anyway, and they're first they're like mental health stuff. So stress and anxiety are just common everywhere. Okay. And I don't, I don't really know. I mean, you can name reasons, you can name presidents of the United States, but really they're just very common, and it, it decreases people's quality of life. Okay. So I think, like, 
knowing some basic useful herbs for folks in these situations that just tone it down a little bit and help bring enjoyment because all those stress molecules just, even if you don't physiologicalize it, which is not really a Mm -hmm. word, it just makes life a little bit harder. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Just like other, some practical things in terms of stress and anxiety uh, that you can share. You mean herbally? Yeah. Sure. So these are not things I carry with me, uh, but these are things that I would recommend regularly to people. And so, when you start to think about stress and anxiety and insomnia, which is often a consequence, you have to separate sedative and non-sedative herbs. Okay. So it's the, first, it's the first categorization because there are herbs that might help your anxiety, but they might reduce cognitive function, right? Mm-hmm. Because, they're gonna, like you're, because your stress levels are down, because your nervous system's not firing strongly, and so not, but also you're not thinking as clearly. Mm-hmm. So like classically, let's say you were really nervous before giving a presentation, you don't want to take strong sedatives because you'll be relaxed, but giving, you know, be mumbling maybe a lot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so some herbs that are, re- are helpful for stress and anxiety. So stress is a very non-technical term. Stress is how one responds to their environment. Okay. So anxiety is a much more specific term, meaning kind of an excess of thought, excess of emotion, a non-relaxed state. Okay. And so some herbs that are helpful for on that level, well, one of the best is really hops. And so when I say hops, people love it because many people drink beer, mm-hmm. but beer is alcohol. And so I'm not anti-alcohol. I am anti-alcohol. Alcohol is a problem for somebody. Right. But really when people say beer relaxes them, it's not the hops. Okay. It's, the, it's the alcohol and the beer. Okay. But hops in tincture form um, or hops in glycerin form okay. can be very relaxing. You can, and the nice thing about hops, well, first is disgusting flavors. Hops tea is probably my least favorite flavor. Right. So, it's quite bitter. It's it's bitter and yucky. Like mm-hmm. it has it has the it has the yucky component. Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I think as well, but it is bitter. Um, so. Um, so so you typically recommend it either as a tincture or as a, a glyceride. Oh, what I was going to say. Uh, I'll come back to it. Anna. So okay, sure. One thing about the hops. Also, you can dose it differently. So if somebody's having a hard time sleeping or is anxious. You can do something like uh, maybe one milliliter, half a dropper full, you know, two or three times a day. And then the same tincture, they can take three milliliters or four milliliters, one to two dropper fulls as needed. So what's nice about a lot of the herbs is you can titrate them. You can take them at different amounts at different times Mm -hmm. in order to have different effects. And I would say hops is quite good. And then you can combine hops with herbs that are much softer in their effect on the nervous system, like passion flower mm-hmm. or rose, and so I would say the two, my two favorite uh, anti-anxiety but sedative herbs would be valerian mm-hmm. and hops, okay. and those are not coincidentally, I think, the two best to helping people sleep. Okay. Sometimes the amounts will have to be much larger, so you can take them small amounts throughout the day, uh, or you can take a larger amount uh, at night to help people sleep. Okay. And then on the relaxing and the less sedative herbs, you have things like passion flower and blue vervain, mm-hmm. which taken over the course of time help some people who, uh, who consistently overthink or worry. Now, some amount of worry is very positive, but it can overtake a life and then people just never relax. Like, as soon as one list is done, the next list is started, mm-hmm. and until the lists are finished, there's no relaxation, and the lists are never finished, and so there's no relaxation. Mm-hmm. And so then... Plants like 
as I said, Passionflower, Blue Vervain. Damiana is, I think, an underused one here okay. because Damiana, some people think of it kind of in a sexual tonic, which is just relaxing herb. Okay. It also fits in well here. Uh, so those are ones that I use uh, kind of on the very soft end, but very useful end uh, for anxiety would be things like rose, rose glycerite, mm-hmm. and then Tulsi, some people call holy basil, right. uh, Tulsi glycerin, Tulsi tincture, Tulsi tea. And so there's just there's a bunch of plants. I have a number of these on handouts also on my website yes. that you can decide to take in smaller amounts on a regular basis, medium amounts, and then things are just individual, right? Okay. Some people are very are very. Res- some people need a lot of stuff to have an effect. Some people are very sensitive to effect. Mm-hmm. Then you have a few plants that are good for pain and also good for uh, relaxing people. And then something that would fit in there would be many of the skullcap species. Okay. So often it's a mix and match depending on the person's personality and how easily they're affected by herbs. Okay. Um, so I use all of those. These days my experimenting herbs are mimosa or albizia, mm-hmm. Julie Brisson, uh, and Stakey's, Stakey's Botanica. Okay. And those two I've been using, because every once in a while I start to incorporate more plants and see how they work, which is difficult when you make formulas, though. And so so when you're saying that you're incorporating relatively new plants, so uh, are you saying that it's probably a better idea for someone who perhaps just starting to know fewer plants but know them really, really well, rather than have, oh, this is like one thing that I know about this plant? Yes, I would say... Yeah, so when I teach a formulation course, there's like two parts to a formulation course. Okay. Like, or, there's many parts. But one thing is there's no perfect formula, right? So I think many people, when you're working with somebody, especially initially, you think, oh, I have to get it right. Like they have headaches and this has to be the right medicine for their headaches or they have pain or they have anxiety. But really, who, has, who knows what the perfect formula is if there is even a perfect formula? Okay. So one part is getting past that fear. These are both things that I see in beginning herbalists. Okay. Um, and then the second thing is what you're speaking about, and that's, if you add too many herbs in a formula, do any of them have enough potency to have an effect? Okay. So if you're like, oh, this person has anxiety, I'm going to put passionflower, damiana, oats, skullcap, valerian, hops, rosemary, and just like the whole milieu, right. maybe they work synergistically together. But if that person's taking one dropper full, two milliliters, a few times a day, there's not a lot of any herb in there. Right. And right. so often I think... Like when somebody has anxiety, like not, you know, like which herbs seem most prominently important. So just what you're saying is understanding which plants do what as best as one can, because it's all pretty confusing, and then trying to modify the formula. It's also easier to make smaller formulas on a very practical level. That makes a lot of sense. So, um... So I want to kind of follow up on this. You mentioned, uh, we talked a little bit about your school, and I think that this is a, um, a good place for me to ask you to, to share uh, with us a little bit about like what your school is like, what type of courses uh, are there. Uh, if someone were interested in learning uh, more about your school or potentially learning from you, how would they uh, go about this? So could you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. So uh, the school is the Northeast School of Botanical Medicine. Mm-hmm. It's uh, at sevensong.com. And my name is Seven Song. And okay. I'm a Russian Jew with an odd name. Okay. And, uh, and so you can get a lot of information there. Um, I run two programs. I run three programs. Okay. I run a weekend, a month program from May to November. 
And so there's still two spaces. I'm not sure anybody would hear this in time. But uh, usually it fills up. Uh, and it takes, I have 21 students in both programs. Okay. That, well, that's the maximum I'll have. And then I run a three-day-a-week program. And the three-day-a-week program meets Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays, plus we have field trips that are about one week, two or one week, and one's two-week long, okay. where we go to different places, the Adirondacks, North Carolina, and work at the first aid station at the Rainbow Gathering uh, for that one. Uh, okay. The weekend students, there's, all the field trips are local. Okay. They all have the same thing, lots of clinical skills, lots of anatomy and physiology, lots of local medicinal plants, lots of plant identification. Uh, the focuses are the same, but the hours are quite different, you know, for one week in the month to three days a week. They both go from mid-May to mid-November. Okay. Um, I guess people who are interested, I mean, you're listening to me, so this is who I am. Sure. Um, so there's a bit of an activist behind all of this, and the activism just means how can we change things, what you mentioned, how can we change status quo and help people have access to health care in all directions. Sure. Um, and then... People come with a wide variety of their spirituality and religion, but understanding that my focus or my understanding is very molecular. And okay. so I know that we don't understand almost anything from the lens of science, but it's still the lens that I use. Okay. Um, and then I'm pretty sarcastic. And so uh, okay. that would be expected uh, if you came to the program. So which means at times it's funny, maybe at times a little snarky. Okay. Um, and I've run the school for 25 years. So I've learned a bunch over that time. Um, and then you can find prices and all that. It's fairly stable. Okay. Uh, once you get on the website. Okay. Also, and I keep a very active Facebook page. And so if people are interested, I have two Facebook pages. I have one for the school, which is under Northeast School of Botanical Medicine. And then my own, which is under Sevenson, and then it's spelled out S-E-V-E-N-S-O-N-G. Uh, if you join, you can join the Facebook group, but excuse me, you can join, I'll try again. Uh, I, I, I have too many friends, which is just a silly thing and a silly term, uh, but you can always follow it. So if you okay. do it and try to friend me, I can't friend, but you're welcome to follow okay. uh, it. And I try to put a lot of, it's a lot of natural history, interesting stories when possible, and herbal medicine. And I'll be uh, sure to include all the links uh, to social media as well as your website uh, in the show notes for this interview. Um, so, uh, Seven Song, there are uh, a couple of more questions that I have. Sure. Uh, so, one of them I promised to ask you about your cat Pedro. <laughs> I didn't really. So a lot. I, I'm sorry. I just. I just wanted to lighten up. No, I, that I have, was a joke. If you come oh, to my okay. program, all right, never mind then. Um, wait, wait. If you come to my program, you might have to put up with my 17-year-old cat who uh, will come and try to get into your lunch uh, foods. Uh, okay. Actually, at times it's problematic with people are allergic. I, I try to keep Yeah, we don't have to talk about Pedro. <laughs> Okay. All right. Okay. And then my uh, last question for you is, what would you like to leave this audience with? Perhaps something that we have not discussed, but you really want uh, the listeners to know. Well, you know, I think the thing that I always want everybody to know is, is to try to follow any personal interest that they have, even like even even if it's just for a small amount of time, because it's the, it's one of the best ways to relieve anxiety and the stress in a world where it's very common to have those. And so I think like having interests and hobbies and focuses on something uh, is just really helpful. And I, I guess the other, so that's on a personal note. 
Mm-hmm. And on an herbal note, I just I would say that think about what plants are. Like so, they're organisms with novel compounds in them. And when we put those novel compounds in the bodies, it do a wide variety of things. Like some of the compounds just are food, right? So proteins and starches and fats. Sure. And then other of those compounds interact. And while history is not a judge for everything to be good or bad, it lots of plants have been used extensively in all over the world mm-hmm. that at least are deemed safe, like chamomile. And so you might have some people do have a better reaction, but most don't. Okay. And so I think when thinking about herbal medicine, kind of to just understand what it is, it's organisms that make chemicals to protect themselves or to attract pollinators or to communicate with other plants. Mm-hmm. And then we put those compounds in our bodies, and we have a history of doing this and learning how did what plants become safe and how these chemicals interact with our chemicals. Mm-hmm. And so rather than thinking about plants in a magical way or like an unexplainable way. And then lastly, often people say there's not a lot of studies on plants. That is inaccurate. Mm-hmm. There are thousands, I mean thousands and thousands of studies of plants. I find even the positive ones are often not very good. They're too positive from my perspective. Right? Mm-hmm. People, like they don't set up the right parameters, but they're there. And so if you're interested, find, like find the plant that you're interested in and go on PubMed. Just type PubMed into your sure. search engine and then type in, I don't know, Hawthorne. And you'll see hundreds, well, Hawthorne has hundreds of studies. And then if you're good at trying to understand statistical analysis or just try to figure out what's true. But I guess what I'm saying is people say there's not a lot of studies in herbal medicine, and that's just inaccurate. There's lots of studies. They're not always good studies. But they're, like to say that it's not studied is just false. Okay. And I think I think that's it. And just do, I mean, just it, like herbal medicine, if there's any way I would describe it, I would say it's the most beautiful medicine. It has, it, it occupies the whole sensorium, smell and taste and sight. So buying bottles of stuff and taking them, it's okay, right, if you take some eyebright tincture. But be hanging around an eyebright plant, just touching it and tasting it is a whole other experience. So try and... Even if you don't learn all your plants, like learn one or two plants around you maybe mm-hmm. and just get a feel for them. It's, you know, human beings and plants have long-term relationships. I love that. I love that. Seventh song. Thank you so much. This was absolutely fascinating. I'm so grateful you were able to join me. And Wellness Insiders, thank you so much to you as well for joining us today. I hope you have enjoyed this conversation with Seventh Song. All the links and resources mentioned during this interview could be found in the show notes at wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash 28. When you have a moment, I would greatly appreciate it if you could share some love by leaving a rating or review about this show wherever you download your podcasts. This is the best way to help others to learn about the Wellness Insider Network. It also helps to bring wonderful guests like Seven Song to join us here. This episode is proudly brought to you by Herbstock. Herbstock is a grassroots Boston-based herbal event and organization. It hosts classes on herbal and holistic health topics, offers urban plant walks, and brings together herbal crafters from across New England. It does so much more. This year's main event is on June 2nd and 3rd in Somerville, Massachusetts. And I am looking forward to seeing you there. Thanks again for being here. I appreciate you. Be smart. Be healthy. Be you.